this morning uh, something I'm simply calling living out of the box. Living out of the box. We're all aware of the phrase thinking outside of the box, which really means to think differently, unconventionally, creatively, or from a very different perspective. The only problem with this is that from the moment we are born, we are conditioned with a boxed-in mentality. So thinking outside of the box is often very contrary to how most of us naturally think and have been brought up. Now, let me explain this to you. The moment you and I were born, we were put in a box that was called a crib. When we got too big for that box, we were put in another box called a playpen. Once we grew out of that box, we were put in another box called a nursery. When we grew out of that box, we were put in a box called a school. The next box was college or university. The box after that was the office, the factory, or whatever the workplace might have been. We, of course, live in a box called a home. And now, looking at your screen, we even do church in a box because all of us are in these lovely little boxes on our Zoom screen. When you retire, like Terry and Judy and ourselves and Phil, Vic and Babs, we spend a lot more time in the box that we call our home. And Phil will tell you when we die, they put you in a box and this is life we spend all of our years living in boxes <coughs> but we were not designed to live boxed in lives because Jesus came to set us free from the control and the influence of the world that's why in the passage that Gemma read from um, chapter 12 of Romans, um, the Phillips translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold or squeeze you into its box, but let God remold you or transform you by the way in which you think. So the question for us this morning is, what does it mean to live out of the box spiritually speaking. What does level 10 need to do to think outside of the box? Um, Janice and I have got a, a friend, uh, Chris Spicer, Chris and Tina, we've known them for over 45 years and uh, he's written a book recently called The Real Story, R-E-E-L, and um, he's written about his life from 10 of his favorite films. And I read it just this week, and Janice is just going to read an excerpt from it about copycatting, copycatting. Because there is a sense in which, as church, we have lived in boxes that others have designed. So just listen as Janice reads it. While Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream, I have this recurring nightmare in which Western churches are committing copycat crimes every weekend. The scene of the crime is often a darkened stage with blackout curtains, flashing lights and smoke machines. It's a familiar sight in many mega churches. 
incorporating keyboard, guitar, drums and singers, large and small churches will mimic these mega churches in almost every performance, every facet of worship. With a worship set more committed to performance than participation, congregations every Sunday observe the same crime being committed on stage. What is that crime? It is the crime of copycatting what is going on in the entertainment industry outside in the world. Failing to have the originality to create something new, the mega churches simply mimic what the world is doing and smaller churches then follow their lead, copycatting the copycats. Even in the dress code and stage setting, these mega churches will simply replicate what the world is doing far better and in the process become the chief suspects in what in creative terms is criminal. With lyrics that all sound the same, the songs lack both the depth and originality of what the world outside the church is producing. Everything within the church's vision smacks of stale imitation. Now, when I look back to Old Testament times, it's hard not to be sad at how far we have declined when it comes to creative genius and worship. Thank you. Now, I'm sure we can all relate to that and recognise what Chris is saying there in the book, but it does sense, seem that what we've done, we've copycatted the box that the world has created. And then the bigger churches do it, and then the smaller churches copycat, and we fit into that kind of box or mould in various styles of worship. Now, we have read to us from um, John chapter 11 about the raising of Lazarus. And I want to use that story this morning to hopefully help us because the story of the raising of Lazarus is remarkable in that it proves that Jesus has the power over death, but it's also a symbol for how we need to radically think outside of the box so far as our lives are concerned, and I believe so far as the future of the church is concerned. You see, Lazarus was boxed in by death. It defined him, it held him, and it had finished him. But Jesus, of course, had other ideas when he arrived at the home of Mary and Martha. And in the previous chapter of John, John chapter 10, Jesus had said, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. Wonderful expression of that verse that Jesus says in the good old King James, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, death is a thief. We all know that. Death robs us of life. But death was never, ever God's intention in the beginning. And that's why Jesus always confronted death, both natural death and spiritual death. He confronted spiritual death by his constant run-ins with the scribes and the Pharisees because they lived by the law and the law brought death. But he confronted death literally every time he came across somebody who had died. <clears throat> so if every Christian 
was manifesting the abundant and overflowing life that Jesus came to give, don't you think the world would be begging us for it? So how can we live outside of the box? Out of this story concerning the raising of Lazarus, I want to give you five things this morning. So if you're taking notes, I'll say them slowly. Five things that I think are key principles that we can take hold of so that we live out of the box individually, but also as a church corporately. The first thing is that we have to remove the stones of unbelief. Remove the stones of unbelief. In verse 39 of John chapter 11, Jesus said, roll the stone aside. We live in a culture that undermines belief in the spiritual and the supernatural. The existence of God is doubted. Creation is rejected in face of evolution. Multi-faith is celebrated rather than declaring that one faith has the truth. Secular thinking is validated and faith is denounced by scientific evidence. When you live in a culture that is filled with so much unbelief in terms of spirituality and the existence and love of God, it inevitably rubs off on you and infiltrates subconsciously your thought processes. Mary and Martha found themselves in an atmosphere of unbelief because there were big crowds of whalers. In those biblical times, there were women whose jobs were to be professional whalers. They literally came to help you cry over the death of a loved one. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, he is confronted by an atmosphere of unbelief. And Jesus was angry. Tells us that in verse 33. He was angry at this environment of unbelief. Now, everything in your life and mind that feeds unbelief must be removed because it prevents the power of God from working. It tells us in Matthew 13, when Jesus went back to his hometown where he grew up in Nazareth, it said he did not do many works of power there because of their unbelief. They said, oh, we know Jesus. Yeah, we grew up with him. We know who he is. They didn't recognize him as God in the flesh. And their unbelief prevented him from doing amazing miracles, which would have blessed the socks off them, if I can use that phrase. It tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 6, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So here's a question for us today. What are the stones of unbelief that currently affect your life? Let me suggest some things. Maybe you've said, I will never, ever be healed. Maybe you've said, my children, my partner will never come to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've said, I will never get a better job. Or perhaps you've said, I'll never find a husband or a wife to share my life with. Maybe you've said, I'll never get out of my current situation. My finances will never, ever be any better. You see, unbelief holds us to things as they are. Faith 
will give us belief for a better future. That's why Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is the evidence of that which at present we do not see. And we have to remove the stones of unbelief from our lives. Unbelief would have kept Lazarus in the grave. This is why Jesus said to Martha in verse 40, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? So the first key thing to living out of the box, spiritually speaking, is to remove the stones of unbelief. The second thing we need to do is to confront the smell of death. When Jesus said, remove the stone, Martha said, the smell will be terrible. You see, Jesus was an undertaker's nightmare because he broke up every single funeral that he came across. And I love that about Jesus. I really do. <laughs> Jesus confronted our greatest enemy, death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The problem with death is that it's comfortable. You just lie there. Have you ever been to a cemetery and found a riot going on or arguments or fights? No, death is very predictable. It's very comfortable. It's very orderly. You don't cause any trouble and no one is concerned about you. Level 10 needs to confront anything that smells of death within it. Which would you prefer? The silence of a graveyard or the noise of a maternity ward. You see, I know what I would much, much prefer. And too many churches live with the silence of the grave rather than the joy of the new life that is found in a maternity ward. The problem is that many churches are frightened to confront that which smells of death. You know, the seven last words of a dying church, we've always done it this way before. And very often when we just keep doing the same old thing, you get the same old results and nothing ever changes. And it, it speaks of death. We have to confront things that smell of death. And the problem with spiritual death is that you don't recognize it until you come alive. That's the wonderful thing. Janice and I have met with people recently who've recently come alive to Jesus. And it's so exciting to see this sense of new life, inquiry, this, this new sense of joy and revelation, suddenly realizing that they found the life that there truly is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, confronting death can be messy, but it needs to be done because the church of Jesus Christ is all about new life. So we not only have to remove the stones of unbelief, but we have to confront that which smells of death. But then thirdly, we have to speak life, speak life. You see, in verse 43, Jesus came to the grave when they rolled the stone away and he shouted, Lazarus, come out. If Jesus had simply said, come out, every single grave would have opened. 
but he had to be specific on this occasion and he was simply calling Lazarus out of his death. He spoke life. A company in America, a dairy company, carried out a survey in um, May 2019. I don't know if they were trying to work out how many people would drink more milk, but this was the survey. Among 2,000 Americans, they presented them with a glass that had equal amounts of liquid and air. Then they were asked to describe what they saw. So these 2,000 people in the survey, after seeing the image of the glass that, he, that had equal amounts of liquid and equal amounts of air, 58% felt that the glass was indeed half full. However, 16% agreed that it was half empty, whilst 26% couldn't make up their minds. People who believed that the glass was half full identified more frequently as being right-brained people who were more extrovert, playful, and practical. They also tended to have 11 better days per month, whereas the other people only had nine such days in their more pessimistic outlook. Half-empty thinkers tended to be left-brained and viewed themselves as more serious, sentimental than the half-full group. Now, you've all heard the phrase half-full or half-empty. So what kind of a person are you? When a problem occurs, when some challenge arises, are you a half-full person or a half-empty person in your approach to the particular situation. Do you see a hole in the donut or the lovely tasty food around the outside? If there's a light at the end of your tunnel, is it hope on the horizon or a train coming to knock you down? Um, whenever it's raining, do you believe that the sun is still shining? And does every storm cloud that hits you have a silver lining? You see, all of us have different perspectives, different approaches and attitudes when it comes to the challenges and the problems that we face in life. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we need to be people who speak life, not death. It's so easy to be negative. It's so easy to be discouraging. It's so easy to be pessimistic about issues, particularly in the months that we faced of this pandemic. It can be so easy to speak negatively about the future. Jesus spoke life in the face of death. Do you speak life or do you speak death into the circumstances and the problems and the challenges that you face in your own life? Are you an encourager or a discourager? Do you build others up or make them feel pulled down? We must speak life into every situation. We need to be positive. Terry was talking about that just um, a couple of weeks ago in his lawnmower about the connections with the battery. And he said, we need to be positive. It's so easy to be negative. We live in a negative world. You pick up your newspaper. How much good news do you read in your newspaper? How much life-giving news do you read on a daily basis when you pick up the news on your phone or whatever? We live in a death 
speaking, death breathing environment. But we've been called to be those who can change the environment by speaking life that comes from the Spirit of God living within us. There's a story that's told of um, Edmund Hillary in 1924. He attempted as a British expedition to reach the summit of Mount Everest. He failed. 75 years later, his body was actually found on the mountain. But after that failed attempt, um, one of his comrades was giving a lecture about the expedition and they had a picture of the mountain and in this lecture he pointed to the yet unconquered peak of Everest. And he said these words, we tried to beat you and failed. We tried again and you beat us, but we will conquer you for you cannot grow any bigger, but we can. And in 1953, the New Zealander, Edmund Hillary, along with uh, Sherpa Tensing Norway, they conquered it. But what a great statement. You can't get any bigger, but we can. And that's a declaration of faith. That's speaking life into a situation that naturally seems impossible. So we have to be people who speak life. We've got to remove the stones of unbelief. We've got to confront that which smells of death. But the fourth thing is we need to wear the right clothes. Because as Lazarus came hopping out of the grave, in verse 44, Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. I once read, people wrapped up in themselves make small parcels. A good point. Let me ask, what wraps you? You see, Lazarus was wearing the wrong clothes for someone who was alive. He was still wrapped in the clothes of death, and that's why he needed to be released from those clothes because they were the wrong clothes for him now to be wearing. You see, what we wear often defines us and identifies us. So here's some things. Let me ask you, do you wear low self-esteem? Do you wear fear? Or do you wear pride? Do you wear past hurts? Do you wear a know-it-all attitude? Do you wear lukewarmness or anger? Do you wear rejection, unbelief or disappointment? You see, metaphorically speaking, we wear all sorts of things that ultimately define us and identify us. Death wants to cling to each and every one of us. And the Apostle Paul recognized this when he spoke about the struggles that he had with sin. And he said in Romans 7, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by death? And then he said, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ. You see, wearing the wrong clothing needs to be unwrapped. And we have to have others to help us. Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. 
Nazareth couldn't unwrap himself, he was bound up. And sometimes we need the help of others to release us from the wrong clothes that we wear, whether it's to do with issues of the past, whether it's to do with wrong feelings or wrong awareness of ourselves. You know, all those difficulties and challenges, and sometimes we need others to minister to us, to pray with us, to unwrap us from wrong things that try and identify us in ways that are not who we are in Christ Jesus. Paul gives some wonderful advice in Colossians chapter 3. He says, so chosen by God to live a new life, dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. And these are the clothes in his wardrobe. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. So we need to wear the right clothes. But then, finally, we need to honour Jesus in everything. We didn't have this read to us, but if you look in John 12 and verse 2, it says that a dinner was prepared and Lazarus was present, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Mary and Martha prepared this dinner in honour or to honour Jesus. It's not surprising that they wanted to honour Jesus for raising their brother back to life. And Romans 8:11 reminds us, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he will give life to your mortal <coughs> bodies. We too have been raised to new life in Christ. Therefore, every aspect of our lives needs to be lived for the glory of God. There is no greater discovery than seeing God as the author of your destiny, said the late Rabbi Zacharias. And a Danish proverb puts it like this. What you are is God's gift to you. What you do with yourself is your gift to God. You see, living outside of the box will only be possible as we live for Jesus. We were designed and destined to live in the freedom that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5 verse 1 in the Message Bible, it says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone harness you or box you to a yoke of slavery. They tried to put Jesus in a box, but three days later, he broke out of that box and rose again. And you and I were never designed to live boxed in lives. And because Jesus lives in us, we can be free <coughs> to live his kind of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So living outside of the box, first of all, means we have to remove stones of unbelief. We have to confront anything that smells of death. We need to speak life. We need to wear the right clothes. And we need to honour Jesus in everything we say and do. Let's pause for a moment to pray before we go into some breakout rooms to discuss some points. Father, we thank you that Jesus came to give us life in all of its fullness. And we thank you that by his life within us, we can be life changers to other people. Lord, help us 
to live in that freedom that comes by the power of your spirit and to set others free. In Jesus' name, amen.